Let's have an added word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning and how we can gather together and seek your face. We pray that as we go into the scriptures now and as we consider their impact on our lives, that you would send the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us to see Jesus and how he points us to you, Father. In his name we pray. Amen. And so we continue this series called Staying Connected. And for those of you who are not familiar, it's, it's based on a yearly focus we've had here at our church, January, February, and March, the first quarter of each year. And what we have is there are some study guides that are out there in the foyer that are meant to be encouragement to spend basically a tithe of your time each day. If you spend about you know, 16 hours awake each day, if you spend an hour and a half a day, you would pretty much be giving a tithe to the Lord of your time. And I know we can't all do that every day, but the idea is like exercise to build that time with God a little bit each day. And you'll find eventually what happens is that time will overflow into more than what you ever thought it would be. And so there's some study guides out there that I'm going to refer to during the sermon. I want you to feel free to get one as you leave. And it has a AM reading, which is typically one chapter on the life of Christ somewhere in his last scenes of his life or his ministry. Then it has an afternoon suggestion, which right now I'm going through and memorizing part of John 5, so it's in there. And then it has a PM reading. And for me, the PM reading or the evening reading is usually about five chapters. Because if you take five chapters every day, you can get through the Bible in nine months. So I usually try to do that as well. And that may seem like aerobics to you. Uh, it may seem like a little bit of a YMCA boot camp kind of exercise program, but if you can at least do part of it, then I think it would be a benefit to each one of us. And I know personally it has been a blessing to me. So as we begin this, I remember last week we were talking about Facebook and how a friend of mine had put this post on Facebook, and you can read it. He was at a dentist's office, and I'm just going to remind you of the story. We're going to use it to connect to our theme this morning. And he was injected with a medication to numb the pain. And as you know, epinephrine can, you, can have a couple of effects. And for his instance, it numbed his whole body except for his head. Now, if you're sitting in a dental chair and that happened to you, <laughs> I don't know, uh, you, you're winking at the doctor. I don't know how you're getting the doctor's attention, but you, know, you probably go limp. Some things probably start happening. He says, my feet, my legs, my hands, my arms, my lower jaw, all constricted. I couldn't move them. So imagine your feet, your legs, hands, arms. It's just going like that. And I, it felt like someone put a stack of books on my stomach. My vitals remained normal. Now, can you imagine? He's remaining calm, obviously. I didn't hyperventilate, and my heart rate never accelerated or decelerated to anything abnormal. Now, I'm not sure how he knew that, but basically he said, I, I felt somewhat calm, even though this is all going on. How would you feel if it happened to you? How would you feel if you were the dentist, and you injected that into this poor fellow, and now you've got to call the EMTs in there? Uh, it would probably send your heart rate going a little bit there. But as I thought about that story, it's really our story. It's a story of how if we inject certain things into our spiritual system, our body as a church, or, or us as individuals, or us as far as families and homes, there can be adverse reactions that you never even thought possible. I remember this very week, I was chatting with somebody by way of Facebook, and they were, they were somebody who I was basically friends with years and years ago, my pre-Christian days, and we're going to try to interact with someone. I go up in Oregon. But I remember after I got off that messaging with him that all of a sudden an ancient movie that I won't tell you the name of it, but a horror movie that my parents had for some foolish reason had showed me at age eight came flashing back into my mind. 
the machete, the mask, all the stuff. It just all started coming back into my mind, and I literally had to spend 10 minutes, 10 minutes, unprogramming my mind. Now you say, well, that's because you haven't gotten victory over the past. Well, actually, I have gotten victory over the past. It's just those seeds that you have planted in your mind can come back to haunt you years and years later, even things that you never really yourself sought after that were introduced to you. And so what are we putting into our systems? Personally, I believe there is no room for a steady diet of fear and violence in the Christian life. And if I'm meddling or stepping on toes and you get your thrills from action movies, well, I'm sorry. But as you look at it, there is something that happens when you have a steady diet of that. There's obviously something happens that's long-lasting for a horror movie to come flashing back into my mind, being triggered by a memory of a friend years ago. So it tells you there's power in what we put into ourselves. There's creative power to put good things into our minds, and there's destructive power as well. And so we have, we have newspapers, we have TV, we have methods that God is actually trying to use to get the gospel to the world, but if we misuse them, then guess what happens? Our connection with the head, with Jesus, somehow can be numbed or severed, and we may not be physically sitting there limp like this, but spiritually we will wonder, what's going on with me? In my situation, I was like my friend in the dental chair, a child just having it introduced and wondering why these things are still plaguing me. Why do I feel this way? And what I did was I did a mental image to replace that image. And what I did was I began to picture the second coming and I pictured that particular horror movie burning and that particular being in the horror movie that was stalking people all of a sudden going down to ashes and I walked over the top of them. That's what it took for me to get rid of that. It took me 10 minutes to get that whole mental image from the second coming of Jesus to the fact that I could actually picture him as ash. Now you say, well, I don't watch a lot of news or violence and all of that. If you, have, if you don't, that's, that's one thing. But recognize the factor is this, that some of these media that we watch are well calculated to bypass the frontal lobes, excite other parts of the brain, and so your reasoning and your spirituality are hindered. So when I talk to you about spending an hour with Jesus, it means nothing to you after a while. Because you're on a steady, if, if, that, if this is your steady diet, like I have up on the screen, then what I'm talking to you about now doesn't mean anything. You can leave this place, you can say good sermon, you can feel somehow invigorated, but then guess what? The steady diet comes back, and that steady guide goes over there, this goes over on the shelf, and I'm just here to encourage you and say, let's change our diet if we need to. Let's recognize that this roller coaster the world is on is something that we really don't need and will give us nothing but trouble if we continue on it. Uh, you say, well, all right, that's fine. But what about insinuation? Well, this is the one that's calculated to bring division in the church and insert stuff into the body that shouldn't be there as well. That's the idea that we talked about with counterfeit prayer. Insinuation works as counterfeit prayer. We're told this over and over again in different writings that Satan has right-hand helpers in the church that are accusers of the brethren. They literally would go around just accusing each other of things that aren't necessarily even factual. And what has happened? Insinuation. You start saying, well, they looked at me wrong, or, or well, um, they said this years ago, and you start bringing it about. And what happens is you're insinuating that they are somehow lesser. And what does the devil do with that? He answers that prayer. 
he begins to cultivate. And every time you see them now, it gets worse and worse, and your actions eventually follow. And we know prayer eventually can go into action, so you have a form of counterfeit prayer with insinuation. We have no room for that in the body. That we should not have that in the body. Uh, anxiety and horror, that's where I brought up that other one. There's all kinds of outlets, but the result is the same. People will spend hours upon hours focusing during those 16 hours a day on all of these other outlets, but not on Christ. That's why you have the rise in Wiccanism and Christopaganism in North America, is because we have a steady diet from Hollywood that's telling us that these dark things are not dark, but they are light. And if you were in that situation where that is something that you continue to look at or to spend time with, then me to tell you once again to spend time with Jesus is not going to mean much. It's like the Israelites in the wilderness who said, we don't want this manna anymore. We want the quail. We want the herbs and stuff and the fish of Egypt. How can I tell you at this point in this juncture to stay connected with Jesus if you're not connected? Now, those of you who are, I'm not anywhere reprimanding you. I'm just saying all of us need to take stock and say, is there anything between me and my Savior? Because if there is, I need to leave it behind. Because I don't think Jesus sits there and looks at the body and says, well, I guess I numb them from uh, limb to limb and the only thing left is the head. Uh, he doesn't do that. He invigorates. He is the great physician. He wants us to have something better in our system. So corporately, we have begun a focus, and this is by way of reminder. Since 2014, we've been endeavoring to stay connected with Christ. We saw that it was like, like a hub of a wheel, where as those spokes go in, the closer we came to Jesus, the closer we would come to each other. That's been our premise. We called that oneness. We had a whole series on that. And as we have done that, we began to spend time in prayer, and we began to say, Lord, how are we doing? We did that first health assessment. That's why we're doing a second one. And we developed this mission statement, declaring to each individual their eternal value in Jesus and preparing them for his soon return. And so we wanted each individual to know that they were valued. We wanted each individual to also be prepared for his soon return. And then out of that came this vision statement. We envision ourselves continually promoting oneness, which is what I'm doing now, prayer, and the empowerment of leaders in our church, which we're working on that one, so that we become people who embody our mission. We want to be, go, be able to be people who are saying, not just saying, but doing this mission. Additionally, we see ourselves using Christ's method to declare to each person their eternal value and to prepare them for his soon return. We see this specifically by, one, we're going to become acquainted with and identify the needs of Anderson and the surrounding communities. And some of you have participated in those surveys, taking them door to door. Others of you have contacted civic leaders. We began to put those together, and they, we've developed three main needs. Addressing the homeless situation, dealing with job insecurity or job uh, advancement, and the third one that brought, was brought up in specific ways was more resources for young families, especially with children that are younger than the teen years. And so we're trying to develop programs to, to tap into those needs now. The second thing would be, once you know the need, you win the confidence by meeting the need. It's not like a hook thing either. It's a matter of, do you truly believe that if you alleviate the need, they could have a, even a split moment more to think about Jesus. If they're not worrying about that toothache, or if they're not worrying about, I'm going to school now and I don't have good clothes, could they then have moments freed up to think about Christ? And so that was our second idea of win their confidence by meeting the needs and then invite them to follow Jesus. It's not complete 
It's not complete just to meet the need and leave them eternal sinners. We have to invite them to follow Jesus. And this would be resulting in us being known as a nurturing, welcoming congregation that brings together the generations in an environment where all feel that they belong. Some say don't use the word all in a vision statement. Sometimes it's appropriate. We want to endeavor to help all feel that they are belonging to our fellowship. So this is our mission and our vision. Once a year, I usually will review it with the congregation. Why am I reviewing it now? Because I see it in the ministry of Jesus. As I've been doing my daily reading, I keep seeing it over and over again. And as I see it, I realize our mission is nothing new. It's just a rewording in the Great Commission. It's just a rewording of that ancient, those ancient texts back in the garden. Adam, where are you? And there's this beautiful one who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. It's an ancient mission. And so I want to take a few moments to look in the life of Jesus with you, starting in Luke chapter 4. It'll be up on the screen. This is King James. If you want to read it in your own Bible, you can. It says in Luke chapter 4, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit in Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. I am not going to be satisfied until the fame of Jesus reaches Anderson and beyond. That brings me a holy discontent that just can never be quenched until he comes again. And do you notice it says he returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. What's he been doing? He's been, like we said last week, he was led into the wilderness. He was led up into the hillside or the areas that were very few people. He was fasting. Why? Because he's going to begin this ministry. So he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you want the power of the Holy Spirit? Don't I, I want it. We all want it. We should all need it. And if we are toiling in our daily lives to stay connected with Christ, we know we need the Holy Spirit in that endeavor. It says, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified of all. Unfortunately, you're going to find that glory is going to be short-lived. In a moment here, we'll see it changes. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, or as Alan and others have pointed out, his ethos was, his ethic, his lifestyle was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And so the Holy Spirit has led him to the wilderness. Now he's beginning his ministry. He begins to teach. And you won't find teachings of his that are somehow strange or obscure. There are teachings that are founded in the Old Testament that have been building up because those very words in the Old Testament were his words. And so we find him coming to Nazareth. And if you go pictures of Nazareth, this is NazarethVillage.com. You can go there and you'll find they've taken pictures of what Nazareth has grown up to be. About 80,000 people around there now. But as you look at this, these pictures, they reconstructed the synagogue. So you can imagine Jesus there. He's come from the wilderness. He goes over to Nazareth. He comes into the synagogue. And why is it two stories? Well, that second story, there's really nothing major. It's, it's actually to let light into that area. As you look on the inside, it looks something like this. And you can see the second story here. And so those, those second stories on these buildings were meant to let light in. And also you would have the heat going up. So you would have a cooler environment down below. So you find Jesus standing up to read. And, and this probably doesn't fit the way it should look as far as furniture in there. But you can see there are places to sit all around. You can see the steps here. And you can imagine someone standing up and beginning to read this scroll. Gives you some idea of what it might have looked like. It's a reconstruction, but it still gives you an idea. So imagine there he is, and they hand him the scroll Isaiah. The one who's reading for the day could actually request a certain scroll. And so he requests the book of Isaiah. They hand it to him. And there's another rule that a reader could do as well. If between the time that you speak and the time it's translated, because some didn't always 
necessarily have the same language. You find there was an Aramaic barrier for some as well. Some, didn't, some knew Aramaic, but not other language. Some knew Greek and not Aramaic. So you find there could be some translating going on. Between the translations, you as a rabbi could insert something. Just as long as it was between those moments there. We don't find an example of this in this text, but we find something happens at the end of his statement that we have to watch out for. And it's very important. The rabbi actually pauses at the end before the text is finished. So let's look through it and see and imagine. There we are that day. We've, we're people who keep the Sabbath. We're people who return tithes and offerings. We're people who read the Torah. We have it on our hands and we, 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 we memorize it. And here comes this teacher and he begins to read this. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And Jesus is going to be very clear. That Spirit is upon him that day. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it again to the minister, and sat down, or the synagogue ruler. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. So he pauses. The pause is important because he pauses before the end of that section of Scripture. And you won't see it yet, but we're going to notice first the similarities between his mission and ours, so we recognize this applies to us today as well. And then we're going to go back to that pause as to why he paused before the end of Isaiah's uh, section of that Scripture. So we look at Christ's mission. It mentions good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted or the bruised, preach freedom to the captives, sight to the blind, the acceptable year of the Lord. We compare that to our mission. And if someone is poor, we tell them they're valued by God, valued by heaven. They have a crown on their heads. They have beautiful robes in store. We find that's how we should see every person around us. So we kind of have a similar point as well. In fact, when I was talking to some of the young people, I asked them, what would, it be, what would be good news to the poor? That they're rich. They're eternally rich, powerfully rich. Imagine that. Heal the brokenhearted or the bruised. That means someone has been abused. Someone has, something has happened. Uh, some translations say they have become bruised in heart. Something has taken place to harm them. Well, the only way to really remedy that would be to somehow let them know that, you know what, that may have happened to you, but God values you as his child. And he has a purpose for your life. He wants you. So you, you, you begin to see how our mission could accomplish that. Preach freedom to the captives. I see no captivity being totally freed until Jesus comes. That's why that's, there's that second part of our mission statement. We need to be prepared for his soon return as well. Sight to the blind. Well, you find originally that he, Jesus is eventually going to tell them that they're blind. They needed to see him. I think the same thing happens to us. We need to be ready to see Jesus when he comes back. And if there are things that are distracting us, then more than likely we won't be there. Acceptable year of the Lord, that is so clearly a link to the coming of the Messiah in their day. But for us, it's the coming of Jesus and his return. So our mission statement is really based upon some of these things found in these verses and the Great Commission. But how do I accomplish that mission? Well, let's read this beautiful book, Desire of Ages. Jesus stood before the people as a living expositor of the prophecies concerning himself. Explaining the words he had read, he spoke of the Messiah as reliever of the oppressed, liberator of captives, healer of the afflicted, restoring of sight to the blind, revealing the world 
the light to the world, the light of truth. His impressive manner and the wonderful import of his words thrilled the hearers with a power they had never felt before. Kind of like that burning sensation the disciples had on the road to Emmaus. Can you imagine them beginning to feel that? The tide of divine influence broke every barrier down. Like Moses, they beheld the invisible. And if you read about Moses, I read about him in my reading this week, he knew God face to face. Not like a prophet in dreams, but he had a personal relationship with God. As their hearts were moved upon by the Holy Spirit, they responded with fervent amens and praises to the Lord. But those quickly die down, don't they? And they die down at the pause that we find Jesus quoting Isaiah, reading Isaiah. Because when Jesus announced this day is this scripture is fulfilled in years, they were suddenly recalled to think of themselves. Oh, this isn't just about the, the nations that need the Messiah and, and conquering the Romans. He's talking about us. We're the brokenhearted. We're the bruised. We're the blind. Wow. They were suddenly recalled to think of themselves and of the claims of him who had been addressing them. After all, wasn't he Joseph's boy? And here this guy is telling them, instructing them. They, Israelites, children of Abraham, had been represented as in bondage because as you continue reading Isaiah, it talks about the day of God's vengeance. And he left that out for a reason. He's saying, if you don't see me, if you don't see your broken heart, if you don't see you need to be healed and your bruises be bound up, then guess what? The day of vengeance is for you. He was telling them to connect with him. They had been addressed as prisoners to be delivered from the power of evil, as in darkness needing the light of truth. Their pride was offended. Their fears were roused because all of a sudden they had no assurance at all because before they at least believed that God's grace gave them the Torah and if they memorized it, there was some kind of assurance there. They lived their lives, there was some kind of assurance. The words of Jesus indicated that his work for them was to be altogether different from what they desired. Their deeds might be investigated too closely. If you felt somehow uncomfortable with that opening slide of all of those little things, we haven't even gotten started yet. Jesus himself will investigate you so closely that you will say, you know what, Lord, this is between you and me. This is between you and me. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment that, that I could never even name and that you could never even name for me. And so I want Jesus to come that close to me. Uh, is it comfortable all the time? Not that my human nature is aroused, but if I humble myself, then I recognize that it's just a dear loving Father coming to embrace me. Notwithstanding their exactness and outward ceremonies, they shrank from inspection by those clear, searching eyes. Imagine that. Eyes of love, and yet they were shrinking back. Got too close, didn't he? I don't ever want to say that happens to me, but you know what? There are some times when the Lord's saying, Murray, you know, watch out for this. Or, and I, in my human nature, might be tempted to not listen to that still small voice. I need to remember to listen to. So I'm not preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to myself. When Jesus in the synagogue read from the prophecy, he stopped short of the final specification concerning the Messiah's work. Having read the words to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he omitted the phrase, and the day of vengeance of our God. 
And if you were sitting there in that synagogue with those huge pillars and that light coming down from the upper story there, and you saw this rabbi and you were hanging on his words as he handed the scroll back, because now he could insert something between translation, and he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. You recognize he left a verse, part of the verse out. And he's pretty much saying, if you don't come to me, that part will be for you as well that they were more guilty than the Gentiles, whom they felt that the vengeance of God part referred to, he left it out so that they would recognize he left it out and it could be for them as well. So he was telling them, you need me. He's telling me, Murray, you need me. And what's the result? They begin to distance themselves from Jesus instead of growing closer. And what happens? Keep reading the text. Luke 4, 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They couldn't fault the words. And they said, is not this Joseph's boy, Joseph's son? And he said to them, you imagine there, you're in that close, small proximity of that synagogue and you hear them begin to whisper these different things. And you're, you're speaking, you're hoping that, that they would get it. But they begin to say, wasn't this Joseph's son? And he says, you will surely say to me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Prove yourself. Hasn't he already proved himself? You find the Holy Spirit has come down on his baptism. You find John has been pointing to Jesus. You find the Father has spoke from heaven. You find he's gone to the wilderness and overcome the devil with it is written, it is written, it is written. You find him fasting for 40 days. Hasn't he already proved himself? And he comes there. And you know before this, he's already gone to other synagogues as well. And he's already healed some people. And so the word has gotten there. And they wanted him to heal as well. He knows what they're whispering. And he said, Verily I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heaven was shut up three, and a, three years and six months. Remember that, Elijah? And when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias, Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow one on the fringe of the Israelite society whom is, is, is basically dependent upon the, the generosity of the community to su even sustain their daily life, went to her. What does that imply? They're more wicked than Ahab. That's what it implies. Three and a half years of no rain because of the wickedness in the land. Ahab, Jezebel, you start looking at the prophets of Baal, and what's, he's pointing it out to them and saying, you, because you have not humbled yourself, are becoming more wicked than them. Basically, they're standing against Jesus who sent Elijah to them. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisus, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Now you can see why. He leaves out a part that talks about the vengeance, it's about the Gentiles, and he's basically applying it to them. He talks about Elijah saying, basically, you're more wicked than the time of Ahab and all of them. Look at what was happening there. And he begins to read their very thoughts, even if they didn't speak it. And what happens? Well, the same thing happens if we're not connected with Christ. We thrust him out. And led him to the brow of a hill wherein their city was built, that they might cast him down. You know, Nazareth was a city that eventually gets built up upon a hill. The city grows and spreads. And if you look at uh, some of the pictures of the smaller parts of Nazareth, it's, you can see it's almost like a city up on a hill. And so they gather him all the way up there. And you can imagine they're going to make a public spectacle of getting rid of this guy. This is the ancient equivalent of excommunication. And so they're going to take him and throw him headlong 
they have in mind to grab him arm and leg and to toss him off head first at the highest point there. But he passed through the midst of them, and this is sad, went his way. Does that ever happen in our daily lives? Maybe we're so busy gathering or working or all of these different things. Even this morning, I was getting, trying to get here early, and the Lord said, in my car, pause. You haven't spent enough time with me yet. So I paused right out over there in my car. That was my secret place, extended secret place this morning. I began it back in my home, and there was something more that I needed. And that's something more I jotted down because I know next week he's going to bring it to me again as I read the devotions. But I don't want Jesus to go his way and me go another way. I want to be so connected with him that, that we're going the same direction. So we find Jesus goes his own way. He goes to Capernaum, that very place where they were talking about the miracles taking place. He goes back there, a city of Galilee, and he teaches them on the Sabbath days. Plural. He keeps going back to them. And this is later emphasized in the book of John. And our young people, here's your answer for one of your questions. In John chapter 5, the same idea that they needed him, Jesus brings it back to them later on. John chapter 5. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say to you, those who hear my word and believe in him who sent me have everlasting life. Right? Am I reading it correctly? And shall not come in the judgment, but it passed from death unto life. Those who believe in the words of Jesus, those who receive the words of Jesus, not just that he was a human being, but his words were creative power for me, have everlasting life. The problem is, is that if we don't have that experience, then it doesn't matter what Bible reading plan you use, doesn't matter what devotional book you read, doesn't matter if you're reading Desire of Ages or anything, it's not going to matter unless you receive him. Because those very own books were meant to point you back to him. And so we find, believe in him who sent me. The words of Jesus were to point to the Father. And the Father points to Jesus. And you're going to find the spirit of the Lord that's upon Jesus points to Jesus. So they all work together in this. You can't say, well, I want the Holy Spirit, but I don't want to spend time focusing on the life of Jesus. You can't say that. If you do, and say, well, I'm going to study this, this teaching over here, or that teaching, all of those teachings find an amen in Jesus. All 28 of our fundamentals find an amen, yes, truly, it's in Jesus. So if you, if you go that route, then, then basically you say, well, I don't want to learn doctrine. Well, the life of Jesus is the purest form of doctrine you can study. As much as I enjoy Daniel and Revelation, I, I enjoy preaching at least every year in my districts, at least one or two or three or four Revelation seminars. I enjoy it. It's only because it brings out Jesus. Because Revelation is a very fearful, beastly book without him. And I don't know about you, but I can't go out and face everything that's going to happen in society in the next few years, in the next few days, next day, next hours without him. So that's why life is truly found in him. And you keep going on, 35 through 38, part of our memory verses we've been looking at. You look at it, he was the burning and shining lamp. John was, and you were willing for a time to receive his light. But Jesus says, I have a greater 
witness than that of John's. For the very work which the Father has sent me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. That's NIV. Maybe you have it in a different version. That's a powerful statement. His very works, the fact that he was preaching and teaching and healing was all pointing to a greater testimony that the Father had sent him. So then we would do well to spend that time looking at those things that he taught and those things that he did as well. And it says in verse 37, The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. And you recognize he's talking to people who are rejecting him. So if you don't know the voice of God or I don't know the voice of God, this could be really applying to us today. But if you have heard his voice, then maybe this fully just reminds you of a need to keep listening. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. If we don't receive Jesus, we will never receive the latter rain. Because we don't even have the Holy Spirit as a deposit right now. We have to have that deposit first before we receive the latter rain. That's why John 20, verse 22 says, Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes from Jesus. So if we don't know Jesus, we don't know his teaching, we don't spend time reflecting on what he's doing for us, then we won't receive that Holy Spirit. You can talk about the Holy Spirit all you want. I know there's classes that last six months or a year at the seminary on the Holy Spirit, all the little particulars, all the Greek words. But if you don't know the words of Jesus, what is the Holy Spirit going to point you back to? So to receive the Spirit, we need to receive Christ and be close to Him. You've got to be really close to be breathed on. I'll say that again. You've got to be really close to be breathed on. I can't breathe on you from here. I've got to get right up to Uriel to breathe on him. I've got to be close to Uriel. That's that whole illustration of last week of my children gathering close, and that's being a child of God, getting a hug from Daddy. That close is what we're talking about. And what is that gift? We're very clear. Romans 3 says we don't have it. We're all sinners. Romans 6 says we're all subject to death. We don't even know how to go the path of life. So we need Jesus. John 3, 16 and 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might, what? That's right. In Ephesians 2, if you're not clear on the gift, read verses 8 down the way down through there, and you'll find it's a gift that changes you daily. So Jesus becomes sin for me. I then choose to trust in that part of the story. And then I begin to explore the other parts of the story every day. And sometimes, I don't know about you, I'm a child still. I'm a child of God. And sometimes I need to have it repeated to me. I need to have that repetition. That's why the ancient method of repetition and enlargement is throughout the whole Old Testament, in Daniel and Revelation especially, and prophecy. It's because God's people need it repeated to them often. And so 1 John 5 says, if you've got the Son, you've got life. If you don't even know anything about the Son, then there's no point. You might as well just walk on out of here. But if you know Him, you have life. And John 17 says, this is life eternal that you may know Him, right? Jesus. You may know Him and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. So it talks about knowing the Father through Jesus. The Father is not content with us just knowing the facts about Jesus. He is content with us knowing the facts that point us to the fact that, look what I did for you, because of love. 
That's why it says in John 20, verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. They were being breathed upon. They were that close to Jesus and, and some of them were doubting and, and that could happen to us as well. And Jesus points out, happy are those who believe yet have not seen me face to face. Physically seen me, but they have seen me. So there's this possibility of seeing Jesus through his words and teachings. And so that's why we need to maintain this corporately. You find this beautiful statement in Testimonies, Volume 8. When Christ's prayer is fully believed, when its instruction is brought into the daily life, it's not fully believed until we get into the daily life. I always used to be that physician sitting by and wondering why it felt like, it felt like, maybe it's just my perception, the body was paralyzed and detached from the head. I was like, Lord, we love you. We, why, why aren't we, why isn't this over, why isn't more thing, why, why don't we have more love in the church? Why don't we, I always wondered why that happened. And I felt like I injected, did I inject the wrong thing? I mean, surely it was the right thing, right? Well, it's because it didn't happen into the daily life. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't your fault either. It was just a matter of we can only take care of ourselves. We need to spend that time in the daily life with Christ. And so his prayer is only fully believed when its instruction is brought into the daily life of God's people. Unity of action will be seen in our ranks. Brother will be bound to brother, or sister to sister, in the golden bonds of the love of Christ. The Spirit of God alone can bring about this oneness. There's that oneness concept again. And so that's why I keep saying, let's spend that time in the home. Let's spend that time in the secret place. Let's spend that time together with Jesus. Because if we do, we'll come together and we'll share what he's been teaching us. We'll share it together and we'll learn together. And then your Sabbath service will just be an encouragement from me, the Lord through me, to say, let's keep going. Let's keep moving forward. And so that's why those devotional guides are in the foyer. And then as I was reading this week through John 13, I noticed he started giving this new commandment. And it's really nothing new as you read it carefully. It's a Greek word that really can, it can be something that's familiar, but it's right here again, new for you. And he promises the same Holy Spirit that was upon the disciples excuse me, it was upon him to his disciples. And I don't know about you, but I'm endeavoring to follow Jesus. So I want that same Holy Spirit. And so that heavenly friend is what I need right now. That's why John 16 says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him. That's why Acts talks about in Peter's speech, Jesus, whom you crucified, has sent this thing which you now see. Peter recognizes that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit in the fullness of time. And what is Jesus saying here? I've not left you alone. I've sent you a helper, and it's more dynamic than that. It's a long Greek word. You can pronounce it there. Suna enti lambanotai, which we get three words from, soon, which means someone alongside of you, with you. Anti, which we get the word antichrist from, or in place of Christ. So we've got those two together. Someone who's opposite or beside you, who takes hold of you. Or, as some translators have translated, a friend set beside you in your darkest time, holding you close. That is the word he uses for comforter. That's the ancient meaning when they would hire all these people to go and, and do these funeral songs. There would always be somebody that would come beside the bereaved, and they would, this is the kind of thing you have going on here, is someone coming beside you in that moment of need, like a friend. And what is that someone whispering? What is the Holy Spirit whispering? You find Luke 5, Luke 10, you find this one is going to help you accomplish a task. He's going to convict you of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. He's going to point out the fact that you need Jesus. He's going to whisper the very words 
of Jesus. If you don't want to take my word, look at John 16. When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear. That means in the Godhead there is dialogue and there is collaboration. Those are leadership terms, I know, but basically in the, in the Godhead, they are talking. They are communicating with each other. And whatsoever he shall hear, he will speak, and he will show you things to come. That's prophetic prophecy, but also other things. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So the, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father are all still in this plan of salvation together. And the Holy Spirit comes and points you back to the words of Jesus. It's like an echo. He whispers the teachings of Jesus. He points you to the works of Jesus. He points you to the miracles of Jesus. He points you to the miracle of Jesus on the cross that saves us. And that empowers us to be like Jesus. So Jesus shows humanity's need to have the Holy Spirit upon us. Or more specifically, the Spirit of the Lord needs to be upon me. Underline me. Me. Now, this is not new. The Holy Spirit was present all the way back in the creation. You can jot these down in Genesis 1. You find... The Father's there, the Spirit's there, you find this plurality there, they're talking to each other. You find in chapter 2, the Lord God, or Yahweh, you find Him creating personally, getting, forming mankind. And so you find all of them were there, present. And Jesus is saying it's never changed. That's been our goal, is for us to be in this relationship with you, this close proximity to you. So how do I do it? I daily connect with him. I keep being led by the Spirit off on my own sometimes. I then, I basically say, you know what, Lord, that's wonderful, but I need this study to, to really have the Holy Spirit guide me. And then, we'll see next week, it results in action prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. We want that here. And then I find myself throughout the day, as I have spent that time in prayer and study, still finding ways to connect. And as a result, I come here oftentimes feeling just blessed that I am able to come with you guys. I've been gone a little bit, and I just think, I just can't wait to get back to Anderson. And don't think I have nowhere else to go. I mean, every time I go down to class, I'm interacting with conference presidents and ministerial directors and my cohort that are my classmates, and they're trying to get me to go elsewhere. I mean, I'm just, I said, no, I want to be at Anderson. In fact, the president called and it said, well, there's this conference way over yonder calling. My wife's like, tell him, tell him no, you know. Didn't even, didn't even talk to me yet. She knew because we want to be here. That oneness is what I, what I really feel I need. And then out of that overflow is the preaching and the sharing. And eventually that leads to the soon return of Jesus. So that's the, the, the ideas we're going to be touching on in the coming weeks. But as I look at it, Lord's like, Murray, stay connected by focusing on Jesus. As you behold Jesus, you'll be changed daily. You'll be able to minister like he did. And the world will take note, it should say, that we have been with Jesus. And we'll see evidence of this by the fact that we, are, we love one another. So that oneness will result. That's why we need more of Jesus. That's why my prayer is, and I wrote it in my journal, may the Spirit of the Lord be upon me. So I believe we need it anew today. And the bottom line of this whole main sermon point, if you want to do it that way, they teach us to do one main point, is that let's receive the Holy Spirit. 
let's receive the Holy Spirit who will point us to Jesus. But you've got to have that time with Jesus for him to have anything to point you to. The latter rain, like I've said, will never happen by focusing on any other topic except for Jesus. In fact, I believe we will delay the latter rain and the earth being lightened with his glory if we do not focus on Jesus. And so today, I may be in a group, and maybe one of you are here, that needs to accept Jesus for the first time. I'm going to give you time after we sing our song, our closing song in a few moments. I'm going to give you time to say to him, Lord, I see, I need you, I'm asking you to come in my life, and then I'm asking you to show me what, that will, what I need to learn about you in the coming years that I have with you. So you may need to accept him for the first time. Some of you may be coming back to church after having been gone, and I'm going to give you a few quiet moments for you to say, Lord, here I am, I'm back. I'm at this place, you've been speaking to me somehow, and I want to have you keep speaking to me when I leave this place today. And then there are some of us who need to say, Lord, and I've been here for a while, I just want to recommit my life to you today. So whatever group you may fall in, and there may be some others that are like, well, I've got to think about it for a while, that's fine too. I want to have this closing song with you as a time of reflection that we all need more of Jesus. And then we'll have a pause, and then we'll have the benediction. So I'm going to invite our pianist, our organist, to come up and to begin playing through this song. And as she plays through the song, the words will be up on the screen. You can begin to sing them. And after the song is sung, once again, it'll be a moment of silence just for you and the Lord to say, this is where I'm at, this is what I need today. Feel free to, you can remain seated if you want, or you can stand for the closing song. Jesus. Yes. 
Father in heaven, take our prayer now as we have a moment of silence. Some of us need to give our hearts to you for the first time. Others are returning, and we're glad to be back in this place hearing your voice. And others of us need to recommit anew today like we do every day. testifies to these things says surely I am coming soon even so come Lord Jesus the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all <laughs> 